Good evening, ladies. It's good to uh, see each of you. I'm looking forward to, Lord willing, uh, getting to uh, talk to each of you. And no, I didn't plan this to match that. <laughs> it happens all the time. But I showed up in black yesterday, and I thought, well, maybe everyone will think I'm mourning, and I am, but sorrowful, but always rejoicing, right? And as my husband would say, he thought our first response in heaven would be laughter. So he doesn't care what we're doing here tonight. So uh, I've been to many conferences. One time I wore lime green, and guess what the theme was? Lime green all behind me. And they said, did you plan this? No, I'm not that clever. So, but anyway, I thought, well, I'll just, we're going to New Hampshire. It's supposed to be beautiful, so I'm going to wear my orange dress. So here we are. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> it is good to be here. I think I was here five years ago and uh, had a great time and was always hopeful we'd get invited back. So you must have got my, you know, message. <laughs> so anyway, I'm looking forward to talking to you about uh, cultivating truth in an anti-truth world. And ladies, if there is a message that is needed, uh, that is the message, isn't it? Would you say that we live in an anti-truth world? Uh, we call, call evil good and good evil. And uh, so we just don't know if we, the only truth we have is right here in these 66 books. That is it. And so we are going to talk about five different uh, topics, and you have them there before you in an outline. If we're going to live out God's truth in this world, we must remember to be dedicated to the truth. Uh, we are living in an age where we have forgotten what the word says, that we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. We are not being dedicated as soldiers and as athletes and as farmers. And so we're going to see this this evening. And then tomorrow morning after breakfast, we're going to be looking at uh, living the truth in an anti-truth world by being disciplined. Uh, Paul says that we are to discipline ourselves to godliness. And ladies, if you want to know the truth, to be able to defend the truth in a world that doesn't even tell the truth anymore, you're going to need to be disciplined in the word yourself so that you know what the word says and so you can know how to defend the truth. So we are going to be looking at some very practical things. I'm going to take a little break from... Uh, the way I usually teach is expositorily, but we're going to make it a little practical in the morning. I'm going to give you some helps that should help you in just being more disciplined in the word and prayer. And then right before lunch, we're going to be looking at living out the truth uh, by remembering to hold fast to the truth. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's becoming very disheartening to consider all the uh, ones who are apostatizing the, from the faith, leaving the faith. It seems like there's a new one each week that decides to abandon the faith they once held dear. And so what's going to keep you from becoming a casualty? I will tell you uh, what will keep you from becoming a casualty, and it's what Peter says. You better be sure to make your calling and election sure. And so we're going to talk about that uh, right before lunch and then after lunch, which are some of the hardest sessions because by then you've had enough of me and you hope I go back to Oklahoma, but we have two more sessions to go. And uh, we're going to be looking at... Uh, living out truth in an anti-truth world by remembering to speak the truth in love. One of the things that has grieved me through the years as a pastor's wife and a biblical counselor and a discipler of women 
is women who refuse to speak the truth in love. Uh, they cower from confrontation and they cower from Matthew 18, which says, if your brother offends you, you go and you go in love and you talk to them. So we're going to talk about what is it? What is speaking the truth in love? Why don't we do it? When do we do it? Where do we do it? And I'm going to give you some very practical tips that I hope will help you to be a little more courageous by speaking the truth in love in what I call a post-truth world. And then last, uh, before we break, tomorrow afternoon, we're going to be looking at um, living out the truth in an anti-truth world by remembering that we must suffer. Uh, Paul says we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we know that we are called to suffer. We don't like that part of the gospel, but nonetheless, ladies, it is part of the gospel. I know that when someone uh, shared the gospel with you, they didn't say, and guess what? You're going to suffer. And you're going to suffer a lot. And uh, otherwise, you probably wouldn't have embraced the gospel. But it is. Jesus says, consider the cost. You better consider the cost. And so I want to remind you of five truths you must remember as we think about suffering. And and ladies, uh, listen up, because if you haven't paid any attention to what's going on in other nations, the persecution that is going on among Christians, and it's hit here in the U.S., and uh, we are going to be persecuted. I don't see any way out. I think God has abandoned us as a nation, and uh, there is no way out. And if you're a true Christian, you're going to have to stand fast and be dedicated to the truth. And so we're going to be looking at five things you must remember as we consider living in a truth uh, in a truth, a less world, I should say. And so we'll consider that tomorrow afternoon before we break. But for tonight, we are going to be turning to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, as we look about being dedicated to the truth. Um, this is very important as we think about standing fast in the truth in this anti-truth world that we live in. Before we get started, let's pray. And then we will begin our time. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, it is truly the joy of our heart. As Jeremiah says, for we are called by your name. We love your word. It is uh, when we find it and eat it, it is the joy and rejoicing of our heart. Father, I pray that your word would be sweeter than honey than, and the honeycomb to these precious ladies this weekend. Father, I pray that for those who have no idea what we are even beginning with tonight and talking about being dedicated to the truth of the gospel, Lord, I pray that you would arrest their hearts that you would call them, that you would draw them to yourself. I pray for those that are apathetic, that, that do know you, but they've slipped and they're falling and, and they're, they've become cold in their faith, Lord, that you would stir them, that you would kindle a fire in their heart, Lord, that they would see the time is short and they must be dedicated to the truth and dedicated to you. And Father, for those that are uh, walking in the Spirit, walking with you, Lord, I pray this would just further their walks and, and make them more dedicated, Father, that they would realize, again, that we must uh, live out what we profess, that we must be sold out, uh, not 90%, but 100%. So, Father, <clears throat> use me. I pray that you would give these ladies a listening grace, as I know many of them have traveled a long way for hours I know many of them are tired, they're weary, uh, leaving troubles back at home, probably uh, troubled marriages, maybe children that are uh, rebellious or sick, but I pray that all those things would be removed from their minds, Father, that they could focus on the thing that is needful, 
and that is to sit at your feet and learn from your word. And I pray that you would um, keep me from speaking anything that would lead any of these precious ladies astray. Father, help me to be true to your word for your glory and your honor. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Several years ago, I was speaking at a ladies' conference, and the lady who had invited me informed me that there would be several different churches represented. And uh, she wanted me to know that there were many churches that were coming that were not like-minded, and that many of them had really never heard the gospel. And so on my first night to speak, I decided to speak a more expanded version of the gospel. In fact, it's in a little booklet on my table. And really compel, because I thought I may only have one opportunity with these women to share the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I did that. The next morning, I came back to the church, and and I was standing around, and one of the ladies came up to me, and she was very troubled, and she was even shaking. And uh, she said, I need to talk to you. And I said, what do you want to talk about? And she said, well, the ladies from my church on the way home last night, uh, we were talking about your message. And she said, we've never heard the gospel like that before. We never heard that we had to take up our cross and follow him. We've never heard about lordship. We have to make him Lord. We never heard about repentance. And so I took the opportunity to talk to her a little bit more. And I said, you know, don't, if you're hearing the voice, I said, do not. Uh, Today's the day of salvation. And so I encouraged her. I said, you need to repent and you need to believe the gospel. And so we talked a little bit more about it. I don't know whatever happened. But ladies, I say that to say this. That is not uncommon in our day. We have pastors today in the pulpits that are failing to give out not only sound doctrine, but the gospel and its implications to the sheep. And so by way of opening, I ask you, have you considered the cost of being a Christ follower? Have you considered what it means to be dedicated to the truth? Well, Paul has something to say to Timothy as we go into our first session tonight in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 7. And so I want to read that to you and give you an outline of where we're going. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who's enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletes, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to be partaker of the crops. Consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding in all things. Now, we're going to look at three things, for three people, I guess we should say, and then another admonition. We're going to look at the suffering soldier in verses 3 and 4, the submissive athlete in verse 5, the sweating farmer in verse 6, and then the strong admonition. Now, if you know anything about uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, 
Uh, Paul has been told that he's going to die, and he said, it's been told to me I'm going to die, and he says, I've fought a good fight. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. And so these are his last words to his son in the faith, Timothy. And ladies, last words are always important. And so he's pouring out his heart to his son in the faith. He's giving him some things that he needs to pass on. In fact, as he starts chapter two, he says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you've heard from me commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so he's telling Timothy the rule of discipleship. Timothy, or Paul, yeah, yeah, Timothy, the things that I've taught you, you pass on to other men who will pass on to other men. And ladies, that is what discipleship is. And I hope each one of you in this room are involved in biblical discipleship. The Bible says older women teach young women, and we teach them seven things according to Titus 2. I won't go into that right now because I haven't been asked to speak on that. But, uh, and then you should take those things and be passing them on. And so he's just given him this model of discipleship. And so he continues on in the next verse, the one we're going to cover here in just a minute, to talk about what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? If Timothy's going to pass something on to the next generation, what does he need to pass on? Also, Timothy needs to count the cost himself and remember what it costs to be a disciple. Ladies, I fear many well-meaning Christians today are sitting in our pews with no idea what Christianity looks like, like that lady I talked to. You know, one of the lady, ladies who disciples me has discipled me for 30 years. I have two women that disciple me. They've both poured into me for over 30 years now. One time I was at her house, and she said, you know, Susan, she said, I think there's two movies playing called Christianity, two different theaters. And she said, when we get to heaven... I think we're going to find out we were in the wrong theater. What was she saying? What we see in our age is not Christianity. If you look at what's going on in the churches today, it's a circus. You take your Bible and you read the Gospels or you read Acts and you go, where is this church? Where is this church? And so, ladies, I fear many are like that woman I met in that conference years ago. I've never heard of the Lordship of Christ. I never heard I had to take up my cross and follow him. I never heard these things. Well, what are they hearing on Sunday morning? And so Paul has a lot to say on what it means to be dedicated and what it means to consider the cost. And he begins with an example of the suffering soldier. He says, you must endure hardship as a suffering soldier or a good soldier. In fact, Paul begins this section by saying, you therefore, you Timothy, you endure hardship. In fact, the therefore, anytime you have a therefore in scripture, it points back to something. And so what he has said in the previous verses, Timothy, if you are going to pass on sound doctrine, you must be strong in the Lord Jesus. My friend, if you are going to abide by the truth and be dedicated to the truth, you've got to be what? You've got to be strong in the Lord Jesus. Christianity is not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the weak. It not only takes the strength of the Lord to disciple other women, but it takes God's strength to be a suffering soldier, a submissive athlete, and a sweating farmer. Ladies, Christianity is not peaches and cream hunky-dory, as one, one lady says at my church. When I say, how are you? She says, I'm peachy king hunky-dory. I don't know what that means, but that's not Christianity. <laughs> There's enough of that in our churches, right? But that doesn't represent real Christianity. 
So Timothy, you must endure hardship. Uh, Paul's already told him in chapter 1, verse 8, to share in his sufferings. And evidently, hardship was difficult for Timothy. We know he was shy. He was timid. He had a weak stomach. And so evidently, he kind of coiled back from hardship, like maybe some of you. Ladies, suffering for Christ is not always easy, but it's the calling of a good soldier. We must remain steadfast in the hardships of life. And ladies, we have the strength of the Lord. We're strong in the Lord, right? We have the strength of the Lord. And I tell you, it's a precious time to draw near to the Lord and partake of his sufferings. I like what Elizabeth Elliot has said, no suffering is wasted. And that's really true. No suffering is wasted. And so Paul uses the analogy of a good soldier, which actually means a virtuous warrior. Now you might say, well, why is Paul using the analogy of a good soldier? Well, he certainly wouldn't use the analogy of a bad soldier, would he? But ladies, think about it. If you know anything about Paul, where is he right now? It's okay, you can talk. He's in prison. He's what? He's chained to a soldier. He's chained to a soldier right now. And so he would have witnessed what kind of hardship do soldiers go through. You know, soldiers often go without food and sleep. Soldiers don't see their families. Why? Because they're usually away from home. They have to endure physical hardships, exercise, daily practice routines. You've seen it. They're exposed to the elements of the earth, cold, heat, snow, storms. They have to put their armor on. They have to take their armor off. They have to go to battle. Ladies, being a soldier is not for the faint-hearted. And so enlisting involves the realization, what? You might lose your life. You might, you know when you sign up for the army or the Navy, you have to realize you might lose your life. Ladies, enlisting in Christianity involves the realization you die daily to yourself and you might lose your life. You might lose your physical life. We're going to look at this later on tomorrow, but do you know there's last year there was 90,000 Christians that were martyred for their faith? 90,000 Christians were killed for their faith last year. We might lose our life. But what did Jesus say? If you save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life, You'll save it. And so Paul says, you endure hardship, Timothy, like a good soldier. And certainly Paul had examples of men that served with him that were good soldiers. I think of Epaphroditus. Remember Epaphroditus? He was the pastor of the church at Philippi. And Paul was in prison then, like Paul was usually in prison. And the pastor of uh, the church at Philippi, Epaphroditus, walked 800 miles to bring Paul a monetary gift. And he says he he made that journey, and he said he almost died. (laughs) But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also. At least to have sorrow upon sorrow. In fact, when he talks about him, he says, I'm going to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. <laughs> my fellow soldier. He's enlisted in the army. You know, I was growing up in a Baptist minister's home. We used to sing, Onward Christian Soldiers, you know. And that's what we are. We're soldiers. And uh, Epaphroditus certainly was an example of a great Christian soldier. Also, Paul mentions another soldier in Philemon to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier. And so Archippus was another one that ministered with Paul that he felt was a soldier. So Paul continues to write about the life of a good soldier in verse 4. Notice what he says. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? So that he might please him who enlisted him as a soldier. 
Ladies, did you get what Paul said? No one. That means you. That means me. There's no one in this room that's exempt. If you're a Christian, no one, not one single person who is a soldier of Christ entangles herself with the affairs of this life. In fact, the Greek rendering is not even one. No, not one. Now, I know, and there's probably some of you in this room tonight that are some of these people, well-meaning believers will tell you otherwise. But my friend, well-meaning believers are not the standard for our faith. Our God is the standard. And he says not one of us can claim salvation and entangle ourselves in the affairs of this life. Soldiers have to engage in warfare, which means they're involved in military campaigns. Engaging in war is a serious business. In order to do that, they can't be entangled, which means to be entwined in the affairs of this life. You might say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean I'm not to be entangled in the affairs of this life? Well, the affairs of this life would include transactions in this life, secular pursuits. In fact, Roman soldiers were not permitted to get married, have a trade, while serving as a soldier. In fact, you might be thinking, well, that's a little strange, but the Old, the Old Testament taught that. You don't have to turn there. But Deuteronomy 25 says this, The officers will speak to the people saying, What man is there who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Also, what man is there who has planted a vineyard and has not eaten of it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it. Or what man is there who is engaged to a woman and has not married her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man marry her. Also Deuteronomy 24, when a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Ladies, soldiers in the biblical world had to serve without distraction. You got a vineyard at home? Go back home. You got a new wife at home? Go back home. You got a house to build? Go back home. Now, I want to be very clear because some of you are going to go, oh, good, well, I can go quit my job. I don't have to be a mother anymore. I don't want to be in town. Okay, I'm going to go home and tell my husband, guess what? You get to raise the kids now. That's not what Paul is saying because Paul himself was a tent maker, right? He had a trade. We also know that Paul says if you don't work, you don't eat. So we know he's not saying quit your job. He's not saying that at all. But he is saying we should not be wrapped up in all the affairs of this life. Paul says in Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Why? For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In fact, James calls those who love the world, what does he call them? Adulterers, adulteresses. John says in 1 John, if we love the world, we're not of the Father. For all that is in the world, the less the flesh, the less the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father. It's of the world, and it is passing away. Ladies, if you want to be a good soldier, you must serve the Lord without distraction, or you will not be effective. I know too many well-meaning Christians today are involved in many, many outside pursuits, and you know what? It's sucking their devotional life and their spiritual life. And I meet them all the time. And you know what? They're, they're putting a temptation in front of themselves for apostatizing from the faith. They're all caught up in the world. 
I remember one time hearing John MacArthur say regarding the frivolities of life, he said, others may, I may not. He also, once I heard him say in a message, he had very little need in his life for being entertained. Now, ladies, this man, would you agree, has done amazing things for the kingdom? Amazing. He has served as a good soldier. He doesn't allow the world to distract him. And ladies, Jesus is very clear on the Sermon on the Mount. You cannot serve two masters. You're going to hate the one, love the other. You're going to be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't do it. You can't be double-minded. You're either on the Lord's side or you're on the world's side. You cannot serve two masters. Ladies, if you're enlisted in the army, you serve the army. If you're enlisted in the kingdom, you serve King Jesus, right? He's enlisted you in his army. Now, maybe this is difficult for you, but my sister, consider what Paul says next. We do this so we can what? Please the one who has chosen us to be a good soldier. Now, ladies, stop right there. Do you stop long enough to think that God chose you before the foundation of the world? He chose you. You didn't deserve it. We all in this room deserve hell, right? But God chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and before him without blame in love. Why then would we not have a burning and a desire to please the one who's chosen us to be in his army? We ought, we ought to pay him back, right? For what he's done for us. We owe him our life. Why would we be entangled in this life which is fleeting and perishing and wicked and anti-truth? Why do we want to be a part of this world? We're not of this world, right? This is just our home. We're just, we're, it's not our home. We're passing through. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. The soldier in the army is working for the one who has enlisted him. That's his employment. He can't be distracted with other things as he has a job to do. Fight for his country. Win the battle. Ladies, we also cannot be distracted. We have a war to fight, a spiritual one, in which we will endeavor to win the battle and please the one who's chosen us. So what does it cost to be dedicated to the truth? What does it cost? You have to be a suffering soldier who endures hardship, doesn't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life, and is eager to please the one who's enlisted him. Does that describe you? Are you a suffering soldier? Do you endure hardship? Are you entangling yourself with the affairs of this life? Are you eager to please the one who's chosen you? Well, Paul moves on from the illustration of the suffering soldier to now the submissive athlete. And if anyone competes in athletes, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So now we have another analogy, and this time it's a submissive athlete. And notice what Paul says. He competes according to the rules. Ladies, you know this. If you don't compete according to the rules when you're an athlete, when you're running or a race, or if you've joined the Olympics or anything like that, if you don't compete according to the rules, what happens? You're disqualified. In fact, competing in the Olympic Games was and is rigorous training. Do you know, according to what I read, an athlete has to be meticulous in his workout, his diet. Most Olympians have to train four to eight years before even making an Olympian team. Four to eight years. And then after they make the team, they have to practice 32 hours a week. Ladies, there is no way an Olympian will win a crown if he doesn't involve himself in rigorous practice 
and abide by the rules. And by the way, he has to abide by the code of conduct as well. In fact, I've heard of many, and I know you have too, who have been disqualified. Why? Because they have taken enhancing drugs that have made them stronger and bigger. And so they have been disqualified. Also, uh, some have been disqualified for improper conduct. Ladies, no athlete will be crowned if they don't compete by the rules. We have to compete by the rules. It's the same in the spiritual realm. Remember what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24? Do you not know that all those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain. And he says everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. And Paul goes on to say, I run with certainty. I fight, not as one who beats the air. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. You know what he says? Least I fear that I be a castaway, an apostate. You know what Paul's saying? I discipline myself. I'm an Olympic runner. I'm in running the Christian race, and I beat my body into subjection. Why? I fear that I, too, might fall away. Ladies, we cannot run the Christian race by our own rules, but by the rules set forth for us right here in this book. In fact, it's interesting that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians an imperishable crown we are endeavoring to obtain, and uh, we know that the Olympians' crown is what? It's perishable. But the one we're going to get is imperishable, undefiled, reserved in heaven for us. So what does it cost to be dedicated to the truth? The cost is like a submissive athlete who competes by the rules. Now, my friend, I want to be frank with you when you can, we consider what Paul is saying. Because many people today are telling you and me that we can run the race by our own rules. They're endeavoring to change. You notice how many are changing the rules of Christianity? They're being changed all the time. Now the big thing is antinomianism. Oh, we don't have to obey the law. Oh, just throw away Romans 6. What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? They would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep on sinning. It's okay. <laughs> what does Paul say? God forbid. How shall we that are dead live any longer in sin? Others are telling us that we should buy into mysticism, legalism. I call it wackyism. <laughs> Ladies, the rules never change. God is not going to change his rules to suit the weak church of our, of our day. Don't listen to those that are changing the rules. God doesn't change to suit our vain pursuits. He doesn't change to adjust to us. Ladies, the submissive athlete competes by the rules. So we've seen the example of the suffering soldier, the submissive athlete, and now the sweating farmer in verse 6. Notice what he says. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So Paul says the farmer is hardworking. Now, who's the first farmer? Who was the first farmer? Yeah, you guys are awake. That's so good. Adam. Remember when Adam chose to take the fruit that his wife gave him? Remember he got cursed? And do you remember the curse that he got? Cursed is the ground for your sake. Thorns and thistles, it will bring forth to you. You will eat of the herb of the field. And listen to this. This is where I got the sweating farmer. You might say, where does she get these things? From the scriptures. 
In the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. This wasn't going to be an easy life for Adam. Sweating, thorns, thistles, hard work, so much hard work it would produce sweat. (laughs) Adam didn't have the life of sitting at a computer in an air-conditioned office. And Paul says the farmer is hard working. Now, ladies, I'm not a farmer. I was not even brought up on a farm. But you know what I read? Most farmers put in 12 to 13 hours a day. They get up before dawn. They go to bed late. There's chores. They're rigorous, taking care of the crops, taking care of the cattle or what other animals they have. And farmers don't get days off. They don't tell the cattle and the, and the crops, oh, by the way, uh, I'm off work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so you're not going to get any food, no water, and please don't grow while I'm gone because I don't have time to you know, harvest the crops. They don't get a day off. They have to work every day. And so Paul says we are to be like what? The farmer who works hard so he can do what? Notice what he says. Partake of the crops. Why does he work hard? Why does he sweat? So he can receive the first fruits of the crops. His labor produces what? (laughs) A reward. He can enjoy his profits, right? Not just the monetary profits, but even the crops, the food that he produces. So it is in the spiritual sense, ladies. We work hard for the kingdom. In fact, Paul mentions laboring often in his letters to the point of exhaustion. In fact, he tells the church at Corinth, be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Knowing your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Ladies, our labor as a sweating farmer for the Lord is not in vain. It produces fruit. It produces rewards. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you've shown toward the saints that you minister and do minister to the saints. God doesn't forget that. Ladies, the things we do for the Lord produce something. They produce fruit for his kingdom. That's why God saved you. That's why God chose you. That's why you're enlisted in his army to produce fruit. In fact, that's what Jesus said in John 15. I've chosen you that what? You should go and bring forth fruit. In fact, he says, I want you to bring forth a lot of fruit, much fruit. And so ladies, we work hard for the kingdom because of fruit, not just here, but also in heaven. In fact, we know when we stand before the Lord, according to 1 Corinthians, our works are going to be tested by fire. Some of us are going to barely make it into it. As Paul says, some of us are going to barely be saved. We're going to scarcely make it in there, yet by fire. But our works are going to be burnt. Our burns are going to be tested. Some on wood, hay, and stubble, and some on precious metal. Some of us will go into heaven with a lot of rewards. Some of us will go in, as one man said, with a bunch of ashes starting at our feet going, everything burns up. It's all been for naught, but we'll barely be saved as by fire. But ladies, we are to work hard that we might bring forth fruit for God's kingdom. So what does it cost to be dedicated to the truth? The cost is like a sweating farmer who works hard for others and also so that he can be a partaker of his labor. Ladies, all three of these illustrations Paul uses, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer, they know it's hard. It's hard, but it pays off. They think nothing of the time they put into fighting a war, running a race, or planting a crop. All will yield something. 
For the soldier, it's a victory. For the athlete, it's a crown. For the farmer, it's a crop. And so it is with a Christian. Ladies, our life will be rewarded with a victorious, faithful crown one day. Well done, good, faithful servant. Enter to the joy of the Lord. We should think nothing of our labor for Christ and his kingdom. Well, Paul now moves from the three analogies, the suffering soldier, the submissive athlete, the sweating farmer, to now a very strong admonition. And I would consider, I would ask you to consider what he says. Verse 7, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Consider what I'm saying, Timothy. What's that mean? Exercise your mind, Timothy. Think about what I'm saying, Timothy. Comprehend what I'm saying, Timothy, which should lead to action. Timothy, don't be merely a hearer of what I'm saying. Don't audit what I'm saying, Timothy. Be a doer of what I'm saying. Ladies, I pray that you will stop and ponder what Paul is saying here. Stop and think. Consider the soldier. Consider the athlete. Consider the farmer. And as you do, as Paul says to Timothy, may the Lord give you understanding in all things. What does this mean? May the Lord give you a mental putting together of what I'm saying, Timothy. May the Lord give you a mental putting together of what I'm saying. And Timothy, when God does that, may you do something about it. (laughs) Ladies, I know you're here this weekend. I don't know why you're here, but you're here. It's ordained, as Susan said, the other Susan. There's four Susans here. I don't know what the others say. You're going to hear five messages this weekend. One tonight, four tomorrow, Lord willing. Don't just come to be listening Go out those doors tomorrow afternoon with the, with the heart to do. Whatever God, the Spirit, prompts you, do it. Be obedient to what you hear. Consider what I say, Timothy, and the Lord give you a mental putting together, and then go do it. Ladies, wisdom involves actions. We have got to be doers of what we hear. If we're not, you know what James says in his epistle? You've deceived yourself. Any man who looks at himself in a mirror and goes, what he, goes and forgets what he is, he's just a what? He's just a hearer. He's not a doer of the word. And James says, don't be deceived by this. You've deceived yourself. In the larger context in James, you've deceived yourself into thinking you're a genuine Christian when you're not. (laughs) You've deceived yourself. What did Jesus say? Not the hearers of the law are justified before God, but the what? The doers of the law. Those are the ones who are justified. Ladies, Paul and Timothy would have been very familiar with Psalm 1, which puts forth the godly man. Remember, the godly man meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, and whatever he does prospers. He's not like the ungodly. They're like the chaff, which the wind drives away. They're just blowing around, and the ungodly will not stand in the day of judgment. So what is the strong admonition? Consider what I say, Timothy. So what about you, ladies? Are you a good soldier willing to suffer hardship and be disentangled with the affairs of life? If not, why not? Are you striving to please the one who has enlisted you in his army? Isaac Watts once wrote, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, 
And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood in this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil. I'll endure the pain supported by your word. Secondly, what about being a submissive athlete? Are you running the Christian life by your own rules? Do you know the word of God so well that you know what the rules are? Some of you in this room don't know what the rules are because you don't know what the word says. I'm a, I am grieved and shocked how many women I meet as I travel and speak that have never read the 66 letters God's written to them. They don't even know what's in the word. So they don't know what the rules are. Have you allowed well-meaning Christian friends to influence you by their rules which are not backed up with scripture? Are you submitting to the Lord in everything? Thirdly, would you describe yourself as a hardworking farmer? Do you labor to the point of exhaustion for God and others? Are you willing to sacrifice your time, your energy, your money to serve the Lord and others? Jesus said something very sad in Luke 10 too. He said, the harvest truly is great. The labors are few. <laughs> Pray to the Lord that he would send forth labors into his harvest. There's much work for the Lord that needs to be done. Will you labor for that which is eternal? And lastly, Paul's strong admonition. Will you consider what he says? Will you think about these analogies tonight before you go to bed? Will you think about this lesson? Or will you leave here tonight without pausing long enough to consider its implications? You know, as I was studying and trying to do research on these three analogies, I was struck with the realization that being a soldier, being an athlete, being a farmer in our day is nothing like it was in Paul's day, or even in years past. Why? Technology? Modern conveniences has made the life of a soldier often no different than the life of a civilian. The life of a farmer is often now run by what? Modern technology, not hard physical labor, and often athletes in our day use modern enhancing drugs to make them stronger or faster in their sport. I say I was struck by this because the contrasting here is very similar to what we see in the Christian world. Christians today have veered far from the hard working for Christ. We want the easy road, right? We want the easy road, the easy life. We've lost the vision of working hard for the kingdom of God. The 21st century Christian world has changed from the New Testament Christian world. But ladies, our God does not change. He does not change. May I lovingly remind you tonight, consider what Paul's saying. Ponder it over. Let us get back to biblical Christianity. Let us not be among those that the Lord will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Will you live out God's truth in this anti-truth world? by remembering to be dedicated to the truth 
If so, you must, it's not an option, you must be a suffering soldier, a sweating farmer, and a submissive athlete. Will you? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time together. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us to consider very carefully what is being said here in this passage. And Lord, it's not just here. It's all throughout your word that we cannot serve two masters. We'll hate the one and love the other. We'll despise the one and be loyal to the other. So Father, I know that we live in an era that has watered down not only the gospel, but it's watered down genuine Christianity. I pray, Father, that we would examine ourselves, making sure that we are really dedicated to you and to the cross and to your kingdom, that we're not just playing a game of Christianity, that we're not just playing church. So, Father, I pray that your dear spirit would do the work in each of our hearts, Father, uh, as we think through the implications of this text. And I pray this for Christ's sake and his glory, in Christ's name. Amen.